your ear? It's fine. Yeah, okay. Good. Well, Lord, we thank you for we thank you for David being with us today and uh, the word that you've put on his heart for us. Lord, I just pray that uh, you would be with him, that he would just be filled with your joy and peace as he delivers his message to us today. And may he receive back a hundredfold everything that he gives to us. Amen. Uh, it's a joy. Whoa. It's a joy to be with you this morning at Lifehouse Church. We've come to know uh, James and Lee over the last several years. We appreciate them so much. And uh, South Africans seem to chase me wherever I go, wherever we go, there's South Africans. So you almost begin talking like that, South Africans. <laughs> it seems to have an authority to it, doesn't it? Just that extra anointing. <laughs> that us simple Canadians don't have, eh, James? <laughs> uh, you, you married into the anointing. <laughs> and thank you. You have an amazing worship band. That's, yeah, you really do. Well, actually, the last song we sang at our wedding, I was, I know, we just married our, our sixth uh, child off two days ago. We have two more to go. So that was quite a few years ago. Okay. Um, I want to talk uh, this morning <clears throat> on, why, on what happens when the kingdom of God comes in power and how important that is. And uh, some scripture verses will probably appear. I never trust, you know, I, I'm always inclined to sort of turn around and see whether they're there or not, but oh, ye of little faith. I have lots of faith that Jesus can raise the dead, but when it comes to technical things... But we have an expert, I think. And if anything goes wrong, don't blame me. Okay. Um, but I asked the question, why was it that the apostolic church, that first church, was so successful? Why did it grow so quickly? So let's look at a remarkable passage in the fifth chapter of the book of Acts. And it says this. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. And the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. That's remarkable. I've been in some healing meetings in my life, starting with Catherine Kuhlman in 1974. Most of you won't even know who she was, but she saw more healed than most. But I've never been in a meeting, and she said she had never conducted a meeting where everybody was healed. But in this meeting... They were all healed. Now, they were all healed in Jesus' ministry, um, but actually, they were all healed also in the apostolic church, and I think that sets a standard for us. And by the way, when God sets a standard in life, it's an ideal. And don't criticize yourself when you fall short of the standard, because how our walk with Jesus operates is that God sets an ideal for us, and this morning, I'm setting an ideal so, and I know that the Holy Spirit falls in power regularly on Lifehouse Church and all sorts of signs and wonders and miracles happen. It's absolutely perfect church. Nobody even has bad breath or anything like that in this congregation. It's reached just about as close to perfection as possible. There you go. Uh, but see, we, 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 we know that we're not quite there yet. We would like to be. Um, but let me encourage you, when God sets an ideal, imagine that ideal being over here. Now, we don't live in the ideal, do we? We live over here in the real. But what God does is the ideal, which is Christ and the standard of His Word and the power of His Spirit, that pulls us toward Him. So now, while you're in that walk, 
Don't make the mistake of looking to the person beside you, this and that side, looking to Pastor James and Lee and thinking, oh my goodness, they're way up there, I'm so discouraged. No, you just keep looking at the Lord, and here's the important thing, move in the right direction. If all you're doing is moving in the right direction, then you're, you're doing good. Don't be discouraged. The ideal, which is Christ, the power of Christ by the Spirit will pull you during the course of your life toward Him. And uh, we're all on a pilgrimage. We're all on a journey. And so when I start by reading a scripture verse like this, and we look at our own life, and we look at our church, and we think, wow, wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be absolutely extraordinary? Uh, And yet, we know that we're not there. But don't let the devil say, ah, you know, give up. Because the devil is always talking to us. I don't mean we're hearing voices or anything like that. You might need deliverance ministry if you are. But what I mean is he's whispering his lies all the time, isn't he? That's why we need to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. I never understood why it is that some Christians say, oh, you can't hear the voice of God, you only have, you've only got the Bible to read. Well, I appreciate the Bible, I revere the Bible, but God speaks by His Holy Spirit. And I say to people, well, do you believe that the devil can cast a tempting thought towards you or uh, uh, tell you that you're finished, that you're no good, that, you know, that every, just give up? right now, and everybody says, oh, yeah, yeah, we, I know, I, we hear those thoughts. Well, then why can't God speak? Why can't God speak more clearly than the devil speaks? See, we need to hear the voice of God. Revelation 19 and 10 says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That means everyone in the context of Revelation, which I daren't get into, in the context of Revelation, the testimony of Jesus is every single believer testifying to Jesus. The spirit of prophecy is the ability to hear the voice of God. That means that every single Christian who has a testimony, who is saved and born again, is also equipped prophetically to hear the voice of God. That's you. We are a prophetic people. We can hear the voice of God. So so what we need to be able to do is to hear God speaking to us as we journey from the real of where we're at to the ideal of where we would like to be. And wherever you are on that journey, what you can rejoice in is you can always look back and see you've covered some ground. You can always look back and see the victories that you've had. There's always discouragements. There's always challenges. There's always negative things in front of you that make you feel like giving up. Or am I the only person in the room this morning that feels like that from time to time, right? Somebody in the back row is waving their hand. There's one person who's with me. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) It can only get better from here. Okay. So, uh, but, but God will encourage us. Look back at all the things that God has done in your life and know that He'll take you the rest of the way. So I say all that to just say in the context of what we want to believe God uh, to do in our midst as a congregation, we believe in the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, We know that we're not there yet. The devil will remind us of that every day. But pay no attention to him. Let's press on. Let's press on to run the race. Paul says, forgetting what lies behind, let's press on to what lies before. Philippians 3, it's a picture of the marathon runner. Um, And when I teach at the Bible College in Greece, uh, when we got there, right outside the door, virtually a couple hundred feet down the road, a couple hundred, a hundred meters or something down the road, uh, there's a coffee shop. That's what I was heading towards, you know, most preachers do. And uh, as I was heading toward the coffee shop on the main road, I noticed the statue of a runner. And Paul says, uh, pressing forward. Um, and the runner is pressed forward like this. And it was right in the middle of four lanes of traffic. And I discovered that, guess what? 13.1 miles in that direction is the Acropolis of Athens. And 13.1 miles in that direction is the plain of Marathon. 
And you're right in the middle. That was the middle point of the original marathon. And the runner, whose name was Phidippides, by the way, he ran 26.2 or 3 miles from Marathon to Athens to declare the victory. And so Paul is saying, he has sent every one of you forth, forward in this world as a runner, stretching toward the Lord. Never mind what lies behind, and God has commissioned you to declare the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ and the kingdom of our God every day in your place of employment, in your neighborhood, in your school, in your college. That's good news, isn't it? So there you go. None of that was really part of the message, so it doesn't count for my my timing. Okay. Uh, Now here's this passage I've read. How the heck did they get there? Well, we got to go back to Luke chapter 3 and verse 21. That's where I think the story starts. And it says this, Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Now, the question here is this, what is the significance of the descending of the Spirit upon Jesus? See, the voice from heaven declared Jesus was the Son of God. Now, let me let you know a secret. That information was not for Jesus' benefit. He already knew that. Uh, at the age of 12, he was already correcting the theology of the greatest teachers in the land. He was filled with the Holy Spirit from conception. He didn't require a revelation from the Holy Spirit concerning his identity. So that's not what the dis- significance of the descending of the Spirit on Jesus is. He, he had existed from all eternity as the second person of the Godhead. But the descending of the Spirit on Jesus at his baptism is the empowering of Jesus, enabling him to begin his ministry of baptism with fire and the Spirit. And that initiated the breaking of the kingdom of God into human history. In that moment, when the Spirit came down, sent from the Father to work with the Son, The kingdom broke into human history. The vision that Daniel had had 500 years before of a stone hitting a mountain and it breaking the mountain up and spreading throughout the whole world, that was the moment it came to pass. And so Jesus goes from his baptism straight into the wilderness and there he deals with the devil. It's the first thing that will happen to you when the Spirit of God comes upon you is you will rile the devil up. And if you get attacked by the enemy, praise God, that's great news. You, you got a target on you. The devil doesn't bother with people who aren't a threat. So if you're under attack this morning, you are a threat to the kingdom of darkness. You can stand up and shout and say hallelujah. You can do it right now if you want to. We allow those kind of things in this church, I think. (laughs) You can say hallelujah anytime you want. Okay. So, Jesus, what happens uh, when Jesus goes into the wilderness and and encounters the enemy? Now, what, what we see is this, that three times the devil tempts Jesus. Three times Jesus quotes Scripture, the book of Deuteronomy in, in particular, to refute him. So, uh, what's happening here is interesting. Jesus refuses the temptation to be fed. Now, who else had spent time in the desert? Jesus spent 40 days, a very significant number. Jesus, the Israel had spent 40 years in the same place, in the desert, encountering the temptations of the enemy. So, Jesus refused the temptation to be fed... But Israel had despised the manna and craved for the food of Egypt. Jesus refused the devil's demand that he test God by throwing himself down from the temple. But Israel had tested God at the waters of Meribah and Massah, where Moses himself came to grief. And third, Jesus refused the devil's offer of the kingdoms of the world by vowing to serve God and him only. But Israel had worshipped the golden calf. So God's making a point 
here. Israel had failed in their 40 years in the wilderness, but in 40 days, Jesus had succeeded. All that the devil had done and all the destruction he had wrought, in 40 days, Jesus erases it. The kingdom of God, the kingdom that God had commissioned Israel to establish to reach the nations of the world had come to nothing. But Jesus will succeed in his commission to take the kingdom through his church to the ends of the earth. Back in the garden, God commissioned Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and extend the boundaries of the garden to the ends of the earth. That was the first great commission. They failed. Then God commissioned Israel to be a light to the nations. They failed. But God commissioned and sent his only son into this world to take the kingdom of God to, and push out the boundaries to the very ends of the earth, which is why the one sign of Jesus' return that we can hang on to is listed in Matthew 24 and 14 that he will not return until the gospel of the kingdom has come to every people group, every nation. The word is ethnos in Greek. It doesn't mean every political nation. It means every people group. And there's still quite a few more to go. There's lots represented here this morning, but there's quite a few left to go that have never heard the gospel yet because Jesus will not return until his commission has been completed. That's through his church now. The gospel of the kingdom will spread to every people group on earth, and then he will have done his job. Now, uh, the Spirit had come upon Jesus at the Jordan River at his baptism and equipped him, first of all, to undo the damage of the devil and triumph over the devil. And then immediately after that, Jesus goes out and begins to declare the coming of the kingdom of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this interrelationship of the Holy Spirit and the coming of the kingdom runs like a thread, if you read it, all through the Gospels and the book of Acts. The, but if it is by the Spirit of God, Jesus said in Matthew 12 and verse 28, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When the Spirit comes, the kingdom comes. When the kingdom comes, the Spirit comes. You know, people try to marginalize the role of the Holy Spirit to the point where he can only be a, 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 like a piece of doctrine, a, a dot point of doctrine on a piece of paper. So to make sure that we agree with the doctrine of the Trinity and we'd only, only believe in two, two aspects, persons of the Godhead instead of three. And, 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 and they deny the present work or minimize the present work of the Holy Spirit. Well, we will never, uh, must never apologize for the Holy Spirit. And the reason for that is this, that God the Father is seated on his throne in heaven. Now, I know that that's what we call anthropomorphic language. It's a very big word, meaning we describe God with the limited human language that we've got. Because God isn't literally sitting on a nice Ikea chair. He probably couldn't even get one because they're out of stock. But <laughs> God is not sitting on some Ikea chair in heaven. And it says the Son is sitting beside him at his right hand, right? That's what the Bible says. Uh, it's not as if they're sitting on, on two camping chairs or whatever they're sitting on because they can't get into Ikea in heaven. And, but what it does state is that the Father and the Son are ruling in the heavenly places. So far as we can understand what that means, the book of Revelation gives us a bit of insight into it. But the Holy Spirit is God on earth. The Father and the Son have jointly sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God on earth. And when we minimize the work of the Holy Spirit, we have minimized God on earth. We don't have God on earth if we don't have the Holy Spirit. Why is it that the Holy Spirit is just on the margins? He's the third guy. And we can kind of... Some people even refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. It's true. If you listen, sooner or later you'll find somebody, nobody in this church, of course, you're well taught, who will just refer to the Holy Spirit as it. I think, Lord, you are God. Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. He is here. He is God with us. 
As surely as Jesus walked the streets of Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit is God with us, and he is here this morning. I hope some of this is encouraging to somebody here this morning. If not, I thank you, Lee. <laughs> so, uh, but this, this coming of the kingdom of God in power that Jesus declared after his baptism, when the Spirit came upon him, the story didn't pan out quite as the disciples had expected because they were still thinking of Jesus that would come and drive the, as the Messiah that would come and drive the Romans out. That's why they wanted, you know, the seats at the right and the left, and that's what they were imagining. But it turns out Jesus' kingdom is different from any earthly kingdom. And toward the end of his ministry, Jesus told a story uh, to those who expected that he was going to, you know, wipe out the Romans and establish a rule, earthly rule in Jerusalem. And the story, which is recorded for us, and I don't have time to read it, but the story is recorded for us in Luke chapter 19. In the story, a nobleman goes away to another country to receive his kingdom, and then he returns to rule. And so Jesus must first go away in order to then return with even greater authority than he has been manifesting in his earthly ministry. And so the significance of this is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the going away and the return is the Holy Spirit. Now we know Jesus is going to return someday in the future. I'm not talking about that return. I'm talking about Jesus going to the Father so that the Holy Spirit can come and then there's going to be a manifestation of the kingdom which it's hard to believe, but is even greater than, greater things than these you will do, greater than what was present in Jesus' earthly ministry. So, we shouldn't be surprised that when we get to the beginning of the book of Acts, that the subject of Jesus teaching the disciples, remember there was 40 days where Jesus taught the disciples between the resurrection and Pentecost. Wouldn't you have liked to have been in those meetings? The main subject of those meetings was the Holy Spirit and the kingdom of God. Because Acts 1 verse 3 says, He presented himself alive to them, appearing to them during 40 days. There, it's interesting, isn't it? This 40 number keeps coming up in the Bible. It's as if God is saying, the place of our failure in the original wilderness has now become the place of our victory. And God can do that for you. He'll take you back to the place of your failure, and he'll turn it into a place of victory if you'll let him do that. So he's speaking to them 40 days about the kingdom of God. He instructs them to stay in Jerusalem, to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Acts chapter 1, verses 3, 4, and 5. So the kingdom arrived in Jesus' earthly ministry, but now there's a much greater fulfillment at hand, which has been launched through his death and resurrection and ascension to the right hand of God. And the reason it's greater is that the Holy Spirit is, being, is about to be poured out, not just on Jesus, but on everybody. So the presence of God that was once restricted to a little cubicle that only one man, one time per year, could go into. Now, the temple of God from heaven opens, the temple falls out upon the city of Jerusalem, and we all are filled with the Spirit. We all become one man, one woman, mobile tabernacles of the Holy Ghost. That's extraordinary. You get up in the morning and you look at yourself in the mirror, say, I am a one man or one woman, mobile tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. You may not look like it, but I certainly don't at whatever o'clock in the morning you get up. But that is the truth of who you are. I'm encouraging you. I know it goes back to the ideal and real, doesn't it? Let me encourage you. Look at yourself as Jesus looks at you. Look at yourself as Jesus looks at you. Don't look at yourself at what you see in the mirror. Look at what the word, how do you find out how, what Jesus, how Jesus looks at you? You read your Bible. Isn't that right? Okay. So, uh, 
So now the Holy Spirit is poured out on everybody. The kingdom is operating, not just in Jesus, but on, on, on his followers. This crippled beggar who was a longtime feature at the gate of the temple every day, there for decades. Peter walks past, grabs his hand, he gets up. The city's electrified. Great grace, Luke says, is upon the whole body of believers. In chapter 4 of Acts, the church prays, the building shakes. Miracles must have been happening all over Jerusalem. And so we come back to the scripture that I started with. Now, many signs of wonders were regularly done. They were all together in Solomon's portico. And the apostles were gathering together in this place. Solomon's portico, by the way, was just outside the temple. It was a very, very short distance from where that crippled man who had been begging uh, had been healed. It was just a little ways from there was this open area. And daily, the apostles were preaching the miracle working power of God to the people who had been gathering. You know, there's nothing like uh, a miracle to draw people. Uh, We were just in England uh, for a few weeks, and somebody somewhere was telling us a church had purchased uh, the old uh, Salvation Army building in the city of um, Bradford in northern England, and they were renovating it. And you'll like this story, by the way. They were renovating it. And as they were renovating it, they came across an old room that nobody had even opened the door off for years. And when they opened the door to this room, it was absolutely full of crutches and antique wheelchairs. And there was an elderly gentleman from the Salvation Army there. And the, the guy said to him, well, what is the meaning of this? He said, oh, he said, many, many, many years ago, there was a man in this city, and his name was Smith Wigglesworth. And he held the meetings here. And that is the result of those meetings. See, I knew you'd love it. <laughs> the blessing overflowed to Mark and Beverly. So, uh, God was doing, miracles will draw people, won't they? Justin, I, I remember preaching in England when I was the, uh, lived in England. It was decades ago, a long, long time ago. And uh, uh, I, I was referenced Smith Wigglesworth. And a lady came up, a lady in her 80s came up to me. And she said, when I was about 25 years old, I was dying of cancer. And, you know, this is now, we're, we're talking 40 years ago that this happened and 50 years before that. So it's a long time ago. There wasn't any cancer treatment. That's what I'm trying to say. And so her parents brought her in on a stretcher to the meeting. It was in uh, Chowdean Chapel in, Ga- in the main street in a city called Gates, town called Gateshead, still there. You can go and see the place. And Smith Wigglesworth was preaching in the meeting. And she was brought in dying, dying on the stretcher. And he came over and he commanded her to get up. And she got up. And he said, run around the block seven times. She ran around the block seven times. And 50 years later, she was still witnessing to Jesus' love and mercy in her life. Amazing story. So miracles will draw a crowd. Man, we need miracles, don't we? You know, I know we're not miracle chasers. I know, I know we all know that. That's not the meaning. The meaning of the gospel is the cross. We understand that. But God wants to bring people into his kingdom. And we need a restoration of the supernatural to reach people because nothing gets people's attention more than a demonstration of the supernatural. I was witnessing to a young man having lunch with him, and he was into New Age, and I'm giving all my best evangelistic arguments, and he's sitting there, and he's saying, well, that's great for you, Dave, but this is what I believe, and all this New Age garbage comes out, and I'm thinking, you, what, what are you not getting here? He says, this is great. We can, you can have your truth, and I can have mine. And I, No, that's not how it works, but that is how it works in the postmodern days that we're living in. Everybody has their own truth. So I said, Lord, you've got to help me, and I looked at him, 
And I said, am I right in saying that your mother and your maternal grandmother have the ability to predict the future? And he looked at me like I'd hit him in the face. He said, how'd you know that? Now he, he started to listen. See, we need an inbreaking of the supernatural if we're going to reap the harvest. Well, anyway, back to the story, or else I'll never finish. Uh, and so all these signs and wonders were being done. And the, the goal of it all, just like in Jesus' ministry, is stated. This is the passage in Acts chapter 5 I read out at the beginning. More than ever, believers were added to the Lord. That's the goal. The goal isn't the miracles. The goal is salvation. The miracles are a means to an end. They're the mercy of God toward the lost and toward the saved as well. The miracles, that's wonderful, but the goal is salvation. If we want revival and we want conversions, we need miracles. Somehow, we need to be able to access the power of the kingdom. So, and if, think about it for a minute. Jesus himself, like I said at the beginning, was empowered by the descending of the Holy Spirit upon him. Well, how much more do you and me need the empowering of the Holy Spirit upon us. My goodness. Fifty years ago, it's just about exactly, or coming up to 50 years ago, I had a power encounter with the Holy Spirit that changed my life. And I was fighting against the Holy Spirit. I didn't have... I didn't believe in this speaking in tongues, or if I did, it wasn't for me, and all this stuff. And so I fought it. But God chased me, and He cornered me, and he brought me to a place where I had to repent and acknowledge my hardness of heart, and I needed the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And I went and had somebody pray for me, and nothing happened, and God was dealing with me, making me desperate and humbling me, and you know, maybe I'm the only person that this ever happens to. But then eventually, I had to go back again, and another man prayed for me. And he said, uh, you can speak in tongues anytime you want. And like, I just felt absolutely nothing, nothing, not a thing. And the friend of mine who was with me said, God has really blessed you. And I thought, I thought I was mishearing. I thought he was saying God had blessed him because I didn't feel anything. And I turned to him and I said, oh, God blessed you, did he? He said, no, he said he blessed you. And I said, well, why would you say that? And he said, because I just touched you. And I thought, well, I knew these charismatics were weird, but now I know they're really weird. <laughs> because I touch you. That's what he said to me. And I thought, well, I'm past it. <laughs> I don't know what's happening here. And I turned around, and I found myself on the floor. And I couldn't get up. I was lying on the floor. Well, what's happening to me? And he kind of pulled me up and helped me. And I felt like I... Now, I was pretty good growing up, and I had never got drunk or anything like that, but I was drunk. And, uh, and I staggered down about three or four flights of stairs in this Bible college that we were in, and my friend was laughing at me the whole time. I got to the bottom of the stairs. I crawled across two rooms. I hauled myself up in a stack of old wooden stacking chairs, where my coat was, because it was February. And he, he took my coat, pulled me up, and he put my coat on me, probably zipped it up as well. And he pushed me out the door, and he said, call me tomorrow and tell me what God has done. And I got out on that street in downtown Toronto and Brunswick Avenue. Uh, it was minus whatever it was. And I, I felt this hand pushing me behind me, almost grabbing me by the scruff of the neck and pushing me. And I got to the first street, and I thought, this is it. Everything in my intellectual mind, I'd studied languages, was studying languages at the University of Toronto. I think you can't make something up. You can't make something up. That's what my mind is telling me. And my spirit is telling me, this is do or die. And I stepped off the curb, and before I got to the other side of the road, I was speaking in a language that I'd never known. And I walked around Queen's Park behind the legislature buildings till three o'clock in the morning, speaking in tongues and drunk in the spirit. Amazing, I wasn't arrested for something. <laughs> and it changed my life. Four times in the next two weeks, 
I knew things that were going to happen before they happened. And each one of the four times, someone else wound up getting filled with the Holy Spirit with signs following. And at the end of four times, I realized, like Samuel in the Bible, that this was the Lord speaking to me. It was like I went, it walked into a different world. That's the testimony of Jesus as the spirit of prophecy. We're prophetic people. I walked into a different world, and I, I've never left it. It's not that I'm floating in cloud nine. My wife will bear witness to that. I have the odd fault in failing. But I can hear God, and so can you. And don't believe the devil if he tells you otherwise. I've got to finish this somewhere else. I'll never get invited back. Probably never get invited back in anyway, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> well, that was a good word. Okay. Two things happen when the kingdom of God arrives in town. The first thing is the presence of the supernatural. Our, our best human efforts operate only in the realm of the possible. The kingdom of God operates in the realm of the impossible. So, when all church does is what's humanly possible, it's not operating the way God designed it to. The great apostolic leader who was imprisoned in China uh, 25 years ago when the Iron Curtain or whatever lifted a bit, now it's come back down again, he was uh, allowed to go to the United States. He spent a month traveling around all these big ministries in the United States. And at the end of that month, he had lunch. And a man that I knew was sitting at lunch with him and said, well, brother, after having visited all these great ministries in the United States for the past month, how, what do you feel about the church in America? And he turned to him and he said this. He said, well, it's amazing how much you've been able to do without God. That's an ouch. We can do a lot of things in what is humanly possible, but we can't break into the realm of the supernatural without the power of the kingdom and the power of the Spirit. And the power of the kingdom will attract people. Think about it for a minute. I am, I am getting down to reasonably near the end. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me. Okay. Uh, and so Pete, here's our friend Pete. And his, you know, they, the people know his itinerary. He's in Starbucks. And the minute he comes out with his, you know, super caramel, macchiato, iced, or whatever it is, depending on the season, he's walking along the street with his coffee. And as the shadow of his coffee cup falls upon the people, they get healed. And he's walking from the coffee shop to Solomon's portico. And they're laying out the people, just like that lady was laid out in Chowdine Chapel in Gateshead 90 years ago on a stretcher. They're laying out the people, just like those people in Bradford came into the meeting on their stretchers and in their wheelchairs and with their crutches. And they left them at church and never saw them again because the man of God is passing by. This isn't Jesus. This is Pete. Pete, the guy that could only, only ever opened his mouth to change feet. He's somebody you and I can relate to. And God is using him in this amazing way. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power, the Apostle Paul tells us. But here in our sophisticated Western culture, we've been fed a steady diet for 300 years that the only reality is the reality that we can access with our five senses, what we can touch and taste and feel and see, and there's nothing beyond that. And that's not the gospel of the kingdom. Christianity is the invasion of this messed up, fallen, troubled world by the sovereign exercise of the same divine power that created it in the first place. And if you believe in creation, healing is easy. If God made you, He can heal you. And he, yes, He can do it. Through I was at a, a church uh, leadership thing in England, and it was like being at a medical convention. It, this would be a great time to have a heart attack. You know, there was every kind of doctor in, in the place. 
And uh, the only guy that I could relate to who looked ordinary was a young guy sitting over here, and I sit chatting with him. And after about five minutes, I says, well, what do you do for a living? He says, I'm a psychiatrist. I said, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> but you see, God does use doctors. And God used some of those doctors um, every day. I'm not denying that. I'm just saying, what happens when the doctor can't help you anymore? You know, what happens when the wisdom of men and women come to, comes to an end? The church grows weak when it loses track of the very thing that this hostile, atheistic world, and those of you who have come from a, a, a non-Western culture, have a more, will almost certainly have a deeper appreciation of the supernatural than we do. That's why I think God sent so many people from all of the world to us as missionaries, because you understand the power of the kingdom. But we don't. We white folk here in Canada, we don't get it. Because we are part of a Western culture that has been taught there's no reality outside of your five senses. And we've been taught that for 300 years. It's called materialism. That's why we're in the mess that we're in. Well, but that's not God. We have a great God, don't we? Can I, can I tell one more story? One more? Aha, uh -huh. thank you. This is from a good friend of mine who lives just down the road here in Burling, I believe in Burlington or Hamilton. And he has an extraordinary prophetic ministry. You should have him here sometime. Um, and I sat uh, at lunch with him a couple months ago, and he told me something of his story. And this is going back many years. He and his wife got married, and they discovered they were unable to have children. The doctors told them, Medical conditions made it absolutely impossible for his wife to conceive. It was never going to happen. There wasn't even a shred of hope. But they refused to accept it because they believed God had given them the promise of a son. In fact, the, they felt it so strongly, they decorated a room for him. They bought baby furniture. They put his name, Joshua, his name God had given, on a plaque on the door. And they believed that God would raise him up to be a worship leader who moved in the prophetic. Now, time went past, and they had a lot of struggles. He told me, Gary told me, his wife was often in tears. She was frustrated and angry with him and angry with God, and probably he was as well. There was lots of that. But one day, after a number of years, his wife felt ill. And in that moment, both of them knew this was it. So Gary went out and he bought a pregnancy test. This is 28 years ago, so they weren't quite as accurate as they are now, whatever. But he took a pregnancy test and it was negative. But they believed God had spoken. So he went out and bought a second test and it was negative. And he bought a third test and it was negative. And so he went out over a period of several days, I, I imagine, and he bought a fourth test, and it was negative. And he bought a fifth test, and it was positive. Nine months later, Joshua was born, and 28 years later, he's a powerful prophetic worship leader not many miles from here. The amazing thing, isn't it? That's the power of the kingdom. That's the power of the kingdom. I mean, the number of children that have been brought into this world after Elaine and I have prayed for them in various countries and places, I, I don't even know how many. And the number of miracles that way we've seen are minor compared to my friend Gary and his wife Sheila and what they've seen because they went through it themselves. The oldest miracle baby, in my case, is over 40 years old, the youngest still baby. There are many mysteries to healing. I've never been in a healing meeting like Peter's where everybody got healed. Maybe sometimes nobody is. John Wimber, who was a great father in the healing movement, prayed for a thousand people before one got healed. 
But when that one got healed, it opened the floodgates, and he traveled the world equipping people in the ministry of healing. But regardless, we press on. We're like the runner outside the coffee shop, 13.1 miles in each direction, and his body is like this. Paul uses the phrase stretched forward, stretching forward. It's a very strong word in Greek. Um, it, it, the runner presses forward to the absolute maximum so that he can get his nose ahead of the next guy at the finish line. That's what we're supposed to do. We press on. We press on. We don't give up. Whatever you do, just keep putting one step ahead of another. That's all you have to do. 25 years ago, we had a massive church crisis. Never happened here, I'm sure. And I was so discouraged. Never happened here, I'm sure. That I felt like giving up. And I was at the bottom of the bottom of the bottom. And I was taking the garbage out one Tuesday morning, I think it was. And I, I got halfway down the driveway and I thought, I don't know if I can make it at the end of the driveway with the garbage. Really. And I heard God speak. Same way he spoke to me, you know, 50 years ago and all that kicked off. And God just said, just put one foot ahead of another. And somehow I made it to the end of the driveway. I'm telling you, God doesn't just meet you in the miracles. He meets you in the down times. I kept on going. So, what we need is not the culture of our Western sophistication. It's the culture of the kingdom of God. That's what we need. That's the culture of the apostolic church. Without that, we're not going to be able to make a lot of progress. Yes, yes, it's an ideal, but I've talked about that and encouraged you. The tension that we live in, in every area of our life, between the ideal and the real. So, what if you feel this morning far from encountering the presence of God? Maybe, maybe you're even downcast this morning. Maybe you're, at, you're taking the garbage out the drive down the driveway. Maybe you're having one of those days or weeks or years. What about that? Then my advice is just take a step toward God. Take a step toward God. Keep moving forward. Whatever you're doing, just keep moving. And find people that will help you keep moving around you. Now, I know that this church is rooted and grounded in a culture of the kingdom. It's got a great name, Life House. There's life in the house. It's the life of Jesus. This is the culture of the kingdom that we have in this place, in this room. Thank God. We here are a people who won't settle for anything less. We're a people who... If we lose some battles, we'll press on, we'll fight the enemy, we'll be like that wonderful widow of Luke 18 who kept beating the judge till he was black and blue, but she got what she wanted. Let that spirit be in us today as we take hold of the promises of God. So let me invite you this morning to ask God for a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit. It, it could happen right now. It could happen at the end of this service. It could happen when you go home. It could happen tomorrow morning. It doesn't matter, but just ask God for a fresh encounter because I guarantee that whatever you've seen in the past, it's only a foretaste of the glory to come. God bless you. Thank you. David, that was amazing. And uh, I, I think we need to respond to that message. There's God's reminding us of something. You know, we've been in this theater, and one of the things we found difficult is how we do ministry. And frankly, I'm not really sure how we're going to do it. I'm just going to say, come on up to the front. And is there a lot of room up here? No. But we're, we want, if, if there is something stirring in you, this morning as David was speaking, if you want a touch from God this morning, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, if you need healing for something, if you, uh, David really specifically spoke about praying for people with issues of infertility, and we want, I want him and Elaine to pray for people with that this morning. So if, you, if any of the above, 
applies, or you just want to come up for prayer, and you to, then come on down. If you don't come up for prayer, it's fine. You can go and have coffee and cookies in the back. We're just going to facilitate whoever wants to be prayed for this morning, whoever wants to uh, receive from God this morning to be able to do that. So if that is you, please come on down to the front. And if it's not you, then we will see you next week or throughout the week and enjoy the coffee and cookies. Just honor the people that are being prayed for up here. Amen. Amen.